0: Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast, a ministry of Compass Church, New York, Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. He sat there with the patience of a man on fire, waiting for the rain. He sat there twiddling his thumbs, and I think for him, waiting was something you had to do, not just something that happened. For some of us, that's how waiting is. I think he was this way because that's what we've seen about him in his character over and over. He's kind of a ready, fire, aim kind of guy, and now Peter is just waiting. He's waiting, and there's 120 other people in the house, and they're all waiting. They're waiting because, well, Jesus told them to wait. He had just seen all these incredible miracles, seen seen Jesus die and rise again, and, and Jesus told them to wait because he said, wait. For the Holy Spirit to come upon you. It will guide you. It will resource you. It will empower you. And so they kind of passed the time with some things to do. And now they're sitting there waiting. And it's a chore for Peter. And then it it happens. In the scripture, it, it says that it comes like this crazy rushing wind. And then it describes it only as I think their minds could comprehend of this, these things. Tongues of fire that rest upon them. And they, they start speaking in languages that they didn't go to high school Spanish class to learn. They're, they're all of a sudden speaking these languages. And they, they go out. This is this crazy day. They go out and they're speaking these languages. And they go out in the crowded streets where there's all these different dialects happening. And there's people going, wait a second. What's this Jewish fisherman doing speaking my hometown's language? The first sign that God came for those who are not close to him but have been far from him that don't know of him. In fact, some of the people try to dismiss it. They go, these guys must be drunk, right? And Peter says, hey, look, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, but it's not here yet, right? <laughs> We're not drunk yet. It's too early in the day. So let me tell you about what's going on here And this uneducated, untrained fisherman begins to deliver this sermon to this multitude. And he points to the Old Testament and he points at how Jesus came and he fulfilled all these things, how his death and his resurrection and how he was exalted up and now you can have forgiveness for your sins. And it says this, it says that what he said cut to their hearts. It cut to their hearts so much that the rest of them didn't quite know what to do? They said, brothers, what shall we do? It's so what the rest of the other 120 said. Peter speaks up again. He goes, uh, let me tell these guys, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And check out what he says next. He says, for the promise is for you. That's a pretty awesome thing to hear. That's good news. That's what the gospel means. It's good news. It should be good he said, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. All the irreligious, all the people who have never known him, all the people who said, ah, that God's not for me. This promise is for you. Jesus came for everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And I love how Luke sums up the rest of it. He's like, and uh, with many other words and sayings, he, he went on. <laughs> Peter talks a lot. That's the gist of it, and we we move on. And then he says, so those who received his words were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So in one day, they go from 120 disciples to over 3,000. They grow by 25 times. Insane day. Our passage this morning, we're going to be looking at what happens next. If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Acts chapter 2, uh, verses 42 through 47. And today I'm, I'm really excited, so maybe I might talk a little fast because i got a lot to fit in, but I'm really excited to talk about uh, what we've been praying about, what we feel like God has for us. And we're going to be looking at, at kind of how the church started and, and how it moved from this like 120 people to 3,000 and how they lived the gospel out together So, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says this. We're going to unpack this together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And there were wonders and signs being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many had needs. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved It's crazy, like fast-paced little story about what happens next. You know, you have this crazy day, and then this passage. And you might be sitting there asking the question that four non-blondes once asked, what's going on? And that joke is just for me, because I know that some of you in your heads just sang that. You just said, what's going on? And now I'm in your head. So... What is going on in this passage? We're going to pick it apart, but before we do, I want to look at three really important things to note about this passage. The first one is this. This is a story of response to the gospel. It's a narrative. It's not a uh, how-to as much as it is a here's what happened. It's a story. It's a narrative. It's, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Here's how you do things. No, it's just telling you here's, here's how God moved in this time. And they're responding to the gospel. Peter gives this sermon. He says, repent to every, every one of you. And it says, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added, 3,000 souls that day. The other thing to note is this is an exciting time. You can hear it in the pace of this passage. It's, it's fast. It's going, and this happened, and that happened, and this happened. It's like uh, if you were to ask a little kid who's really excited about what they got for Christmas, what they got for Christmas, Right? It's like, uh, and I got this, and then there was this, and this happened, and this, the word and, notice the word and in this passage over and over again. It's just linking every action together, and this happened, and that, the word and is used 15 times. In fact, every sentence starts with the word and. If you're a grammar teacher, you're like, this is really poor writing. Luke, you're a doctor. Pick it up, man. But he's, He's just talking about this, this, this very fast-paced, exciting time. The other thing to note, so it's a story about response to the gospel. It's an exciting time. The third thing to note is that it was a lifestyle. Whereas Pentecost was this one-day event that happened, this is like how they lived. It describes that. Notice the verb tenses. It's going on and using this like perfect past tense. There's not just things that happened, they were things that were happening. They were doing it. They were devoted to teaching and breaking and all these like ing verbs connected to these being verbs over and over again. This is how they lived. So it was a, it's a story about an exciting time about how they responded to the gospel. So let's jump in a little deeper into verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted, or uh, some of your translations might actually say they persevered. The concept here is that they committed to it. It wasn't just a one-time, hey, I did it, check the box thing. But they were on this pursuit. You see, discipleship, following Jesus isn't a destination but it's a road and they were on it they were devoted to it they were committed to it so what were they what did they devote themselves to in this story they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching uh, fellowship the breaking of bread and prayer the apostles teacher they were a learning church they were taking in what god had for them to learn the the apostles teachers what we have crazy enough in this day and age in our hands this this book of what the apostles wrote down in the New Testament, and they they devoted themselves to taking that. And it's a learning church, and I want to talk about that a little bit, because we think of learning as this academic thing, right? You go to a thing, you sit in the thing, and then you get the piece of paper, and you're educated, you're done. In the ancient world, they wouldn't say you learned something until you didn't know it, and you didn't just know it in your head, you knew it in your hands. Like nowadays, you watch a video on YouTube of a uh, repairing your car and you're like I'm a mechanic I, I know how to do it I've never done it but I know how to do it if I ever needed to do it they wouldn't say you learned anything you, you don't know something until you've exercised it in your hands they were learning from the, meaning they were applying it in this relational context of how to live the gospel together it said they were devoted to fellowship now this word uh, can be a little bit lame if I'm honest fellowship Like, if you're unchurched, like, okay, let me just ask a question. How many people use the word fellowship this week in regular conversation? (laughs) I can see. There's no one with hands up. There's not a single hand up. That would ruin the moment, right? You're hanging out with a bunch of friends. It's some great fellowship. All right, weirdo. I'm getting away from you. (laughs) That would be weird. We don't really use this word a lot. If you're unchurched, you're like, I've never heard it except for, you know, Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring, and you're like... Yeah, I know what you're talking about, dude. Fellowship, and by the way, the title of the sermon is The Fellowship of the King. See, a little play to you, Tolkien fans out there. If you're like me and you grew up in the church, it's kind of this stale, musty word that was kind of used, but you don't really use kind of thing, but it's actually a really awesome word, and I mean that in the true sense of awesome, what fellowship means. It's this camaraderie. Um, like in Lord of the Rings, here's a bunch of different people going, hey, we have to band together, take care of each other because we've got a mission of the utmost importance. It's a band of brothers and sisters on a mission of the utmost importance. That's what a real fellowship is, and they were devoted to that. They were so on mission for what God had told them to do, hey, go and make disciples, that they banded together and they were devoted to one another in this type of uh Communitas. We, we talk about this word communitas versus community. Community is based on geography. Who lives around me? Communitas is a word you probably never heard because it sounds made up, but it's a real word. Where it's about a, a characteristic of a group of people that they experience liminality, risk, and mission together. You ever talk to somebody who served in the military? They'll say, oh, those people are closer than brothers and sisters. Why? Because they were on mission together. They received fire together. They had to have each other's backs. And this is the kind of thing that we're talking about here. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, meaning what? Meaning they ate together. They shared meals together, they, meaning they lived life together. See, food uh, back in the ancient world was a very intimate thing. It meant a lot to have somebody over for dinner. It wasn't just something you kind of did or you went out. Or Food's kind of a weird thing nowadays. It's like it's so readily available. It wasn't readily available. They couldn't just go to Burger King. Like, you know, there's Burger King everywhere now. It's like the Burger Kingdom is popping up. But th- back in those days, it wasn't so readily available. So you shared your food. You're sharing life. Like, this is my sustenance. I'm sharing with you. And so it's 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 deep connection. They're devoted to to being together and living life together. They were devoted to prayer. This was a, a discipline that they devoted themselves to, meaning there's, there's regularity to it. They, they committed to it. They pursued God in this way. Prayer wasn't just a cool idea or something you did when things were going bad. It was what they devoted themselves to, this, this constant prayer and putting things before God. That's important. Do you believe that? That prayer is important. I I was rocked by a quote uh, earlier last year. It said, prayer is not our our last line of defense, but it is our first line of offense. That's important to know. And these people believe that. They devoted themselves to prayer. Verse 43, it says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was this element of awe and marveling. The word awe or awesome is again, one of those words that, that maybe we overuse, like we use it to describe tacos or whatever, you know. Awesome dude. If we go to the top shelf, but there was a sense in this, this moment, this exciting time, they were looking around and they were in awe of what God was doing. Let me ask you, when was the last time you were in awe of what God was doing? in your life, or what he is currently doing in your life, because I, I hate to break it to you, he's moving. He's working. He's working miracles that you, you didn't even pray for. And the Spirit is interceding with, with words that there's no words for, with grumblings. And God's on the move. He's working all things for the good of those who love him. That's really profound if you know the word good. It's not just what you want, it's what you need. It's what's good. And God's working those miracles and they, they could see it. it was they, they, they were aware of it, they were looking for it and they were seeing, man, God lined up that thing and this thing and look at that. Not just the healing of, of this and that, these incredible signs and wonders, but just being in awe. We just sang a song, this is amazing grace. Man, it was cool to hear you sing that. Second service knows how to sing. This is amazing grace. Do you believe that his grace is so amazing that you can't help but sing? Streams of mercy never ceasing, they call for what? Songs of kind of okay praise, (laughs) mediocre, passive praise, praise out of obligation. No, loudest praise, the praise that you can't help but shout it out. And they were in awe of what God was doing. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. I want you to notice the theme and the concept of of togetherness. Luke, who is writing this story, is just emphasizing the word together over and over and over. Together, commonality, they they were together. All who believed were together, they lived in such wonderful harmony, which is crazy to think of, right? Like 3,000 people doing all things together. Like it's... How hard was Thanksgiving with that group of people? <laughs> 3,000 strangers coming together and, and doing all things together. They had this commonality. It wasn't just an idea. It was this, this fellowship, this, this being on mission together that, that caused them to respond in such ways that are insane. Look at verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They had this intense responsibility for one another that that motivated what they do. They couldn't help it. Notice, notice the words there, as any had need. Remember, this is a story. This isn't prescriptive, it's descriptive. Luke's telling us how they lived. And he's, he's just like, this is what they did. They, they were... This isn't like, hey, let's set up this system, let's pool our money, let's create an insurance company or do this or do that. It's just a story about how people heard the gospel and responded to it. And when they responded to the gospel, they couldn't help. They saw a need amongst them and they go, well, I have this. I could sell this. I could take care of my brother or sister. It's not this this system or, or structure or this, this communist thing, you're like, wait wait a second, is this communism? This isn't a government system. This is just people responding to the gospel. In fact, the reason why it doesn't seem to work is because you can't legislate that sort of thing. Generosity has to be done out of a motivation that is far beyond it. And, and we see the only one that, that really does that is the gospel. Like God gave so much that, man, I could respond with this. And so they're, they're selling things and they're taking care of needs. And that's something we have to pay attention to. It was a bunch of people on mission together doing whatever it takes to take care of each other and love on one another. William Barclay said this about it. He said, real Christians cannot bear to have too much when others around them have too little. Verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread together in their homes... They received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. Again, this is a lifestyle. It's not just an event or like something they checked off the box. It says day by day, or maybe some of your versions might actually say daily. It might just, just throw it out there. This, their daily routine, so to speak, was summarized like this. They regularly attended the temple together. They saw this value in this large corporate gathering of proclaiming the truths of God and taking it in and sacrificing together and proclaiming the gospel together. Here's what God has done. Here's what, how it affects me. Here's how it changes me. You see this, this really uh, devotion to day by day they're going to the temple together and they're getting in this larger setting it's really important to belong to something much bigger because it's a lot harder to get discouraged when you see how God's moving in bigger spaces. And then they were regularly breaking bread in their homes. Regularly breaking bread in their homes. You can't fit 3,000 people in a home. So they were, they were creating these spaces that, that are small enough. You can't know the names and the needs of people in the setting of 3,000 people. And so they're, they're meeting together and they're sharing life together and they, they saw value in creating spaces where they could have these types of deep relationship and fellowship. I love what it says here. It says, glad they did this with glad and generous hearts. The only adjectives in this whole passage describing how they were, right? Like he's been describing how they were through action and then he says they, they did this with glad and generous hearts hearts. Now, he's talking about how they they shared the meal together, but I think it's a defining characteristic. Christians should be known as this glad and generous people, right? We should be seen as that. A body of believers, I mean, the only appropriate response to the gospel is joy, and yet sometimes you go to church, and some of us look like we've been baptized in pickle juice, like Where's the gladness? Where's the generous hearts? And look at what, what happens. They're, they're, praise, they're glad and generous and they're praising God. Man, they're, they're, the only appropriate response to the gospel is praise. Streams of mercy never cease and call for songs of loudest praise. Again, this is how they respond to the gospel even more. It's how they're living the gospel together in community glad and generous, and they're praising God together. The right response to the gospel is praise. Now check out this little like, last part of the sentence here. He says, in having favor with all people. This glad and generous, praise-filled people who were taking care of each other, uh, it was really attractive to the world around them. It wasn't just a good thing. It was something that looked good. You know, some things are good, but they don't look good. This thing was good, and it looked good. It's like Will Smith in the first Men in Black movie, right? He's like, the difference between you and me is I make this look good. They made it look good. <laughs> it probably resonated with what Jesus said. He said, they will know you are my followers, my disciples, by your love for one another. And they were gaining favor with all the people around them. It was shaking things out. Now this part's really cool. Check out what God does in the last verse here and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Who added to their number? Who added to their number? Like you believe it. Who added to their number? The Lord, the Lord added. That was kind of like you believed it, but that's all right. <laughs> it's early enough. The Lord is the one who added to their number. Pretty important. God's the one save people. The Lord's the one who added to their number those who were being saved. God is the one who grows the church. They did this day by day. God did this day by day. And it's not some mathematical formula. Oh, if we do this, we rub this lamp. This is going to happen. It's the slow grow progressive committing, devoting, persevering to, in the com- communion together Living life together and it's like grass growing. It's it's growing. But don't. He's gonna do it day by day. God's gonna move. They did this day by day. God does this. Remember discipleship. Following Jesus is a road, not a destination. So, here's our passage. What's the big idea? What's the point of this passage? Why do we why do we have this story to look back at? Um, and the church has looked at it for for so long. There's something, is there something we're supposed to gain from it? I believe there is. There is a togetherness and a fellowship that cannot be ignored in this passage. Now remember, this is a story. This is a narrative. It's not meant to be a how-to. In fact, if you look for a how-to-do church in the Bible, there's not, I was looking for that book. Like, what are the songs we sing? What should the order of service look? We don't, we don't have it. What we have is different examples of how church was done. What we have is some stories and there's some characteristics to grab, and this is descriptive, and, but there's, there's a togetherness and a fellowship that we cannot ignore. In fact, we should look at this story, and their response to the gospel should shake us to our core, and challenge us, and say, do we look like that? Do I look like that? If they were writing down our story today, but they say, hey, this is a story, it's an exciting story about how a bunch of people responded to the gospel. And they use a bunch of ands to link all the stuff that God was doing. So the big idea is this. We live the gospel together because God's mission is to be carried out in fellowship. We live the gospel together in relationships. It's not about learning something and going and hiding and, and going, oh, this is really important to me. No, we live it in, in togetherness and in fellowship and community. In fact, the whole New Testament, there's the Gospels, what Jesus did, the Gospel. And then there's Acts. Here's how the church kind of got going, the mission of, of God. And then it's a bunch of letters just telling them, hey, here's how you guys interact together. <laughs> here's, be of the same mind. Be patient, be honest with one another, be devoted to one another. Just over and over again, here's what the gospel is, here's how it should play out in your fellowship and in your community together. So the big idea is we live the gospel together, not just because that's our strategy, but because God's mission is meant to be carried out in fellowship, meant to be carried out with brothers and sisters who band together and look out for each other's needs. Speak up. That love one another. So the application, I've got two of them. They're really simple. I'm going to move through them kind of quick so we can jump to some fun stuff. And we want to talk to you about uh, some vision things. But the, the first one is this. Get in a fellowship. If you're not in a, in a fellowship, and I'll, I'll define that a little bit, I want you to get in one. Some of you might be going, I'm in fellowship. Okay, let me ask you this. Who knows the struggles in your heart? Who knows the things that keep you up at night? Who wakes up in the middle of the night and prays for you? Who knows your name and your needs? If you don't got somebody like that, I don't think you got fellowship. You know, well, I, I come here once a month on Sundays. I got fellowship. I think the corporate gathering is super important. Man, it was awesome to hear you guys sing together. Church happens in communitas and living the gospel out in the week. You are the church. We don't go to church. We have to be the church. And if you're coming here and going, I got fellowship on Sunday mornings, I hate to break it to you. You have, I mean, it's deeper. You got God's word and we're singing together and all those things. But you don't have any more fellowship than you do with the people that you go see a movie at Estrella Falls with. You go to an event, you buy a ticket. You're sitting in chairs next to people, and then you go home, and you live your life. And God has more for you. He came to give you life, and life abundantly. And we don't naturally drift into relationships. We have to be intentional about forming godly, lasting relationships. Ever since chapter 2 of the book, right, in Genesis 2, sin enters the world, and they immediately getting shrubs and sew fig leaves together and they start separating themselves from each other and God. And God didn't come just to reconcile us to him. I mean, that was the big one, but to reconcile man to man, that we would have right fellowship because it's not good for man to be alone. The other one is this. If you have fellowship, here's what I challenge you to do. Go deeper in the fellowship that you have. There is always a deeper level. Deeper fellowship means more vulnerability. It means stepping out and taking more risk. that communitas. It's, it's a bunch of people experiencing liminality, risk, challenge, mission together. So if you're just meeting with a group of people and you kind of know each other but you don't really know each other, I want you to ask the question, How? what would it take to create more intimacy? Because what creates a deeper relationship, how you get deeper is experience, Magnified by time. The shallower the experience, the more time it takes. The deeper the experience, the quicker you get deeper. And you can't manufacture some of that stuff. Sometimes it is just a slow grow time. But some of it, you, you probably, there's some people sitting here going, I know how I could take that a little bit deeper. Um, so those are my two applications and challenges to you. You have to be intentional about getting in godly lasting relationships. You will not just drift into community we drift towards isolation. That's what that's what happens. You have to be intentional about getting that type of fellowship. So I'm gonna talk to you a little bit about our vision for, for Compass Church this year. And I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited about it um, not because it's my clever scheme because it's not. It's something that uh, leadership has been praying. It's something we've been sensing and moving even before Tim's announcement and things like that. Something that we were, we were praying about, thinking about, and challenging ourselves with because uh, I'll tell you, this is, it'd be a lot easier to find some different marks and just check the boxes. But we're going to drive deeper into relationship. I'll, I'll, I'll expand upon that more. But I'm excited because we've seen God affirm it time and time again. I was expecting, you know, us to come up with this plan. I go to the elders and, and say, hey, I think this is where God's leading us. This is our vision. And then they go, are you crazy? Like that's, No. I was expecting the search firm, as we're, we're doing this search firm, for, uh, this process for finding a new lead pastor to go, no, you don't push the ball forward. You keep a holding pattern while you're, you're waiting for this guy to come. And they're like, no, that's exactly what God has for you. In fact, they did a big survey and they said, this is exactly what God wants for you right now. We think that. We believe that. And so I'm excited to share with you uh, over the next two weeks, you know, I'm speaking today, Mike's going to speak next week, but I'm going to talk about uh, one, one facet of it. We're Compass Church, our mission is the same, helping people find their way to God. That's our mission, that's the lens that we we try to make sure we're navigating, are we pushing people towards Jesus? Are we pointing them towards Jesus over and over again? At Compass Church, our mission is to help people find their way to God. This requires locating where they're at. We have to know them and know where they're at, getting the right heading, and taking the next step towards Jesus. And the way that we see this happening over the next six months to a year is we live the gospel together. There's going to be two uh, parts to that, how we do that. We want to be a church that's known by its love for one another and a church that's known by its love for the community. A church that's known by its love for one another and its love for the people around it church that loves one another. Mike's going to talk about the the community one next week, but this week I want to talk about a church that loves one another. We want to be a church motivated by the gospel. We envision a church that is known throughout the West Valley by our love for one another. There will be stories that are told about how we care for each other and exemplify God's uh, ambitious, unending grace and love towards each other. There will be stories about the lives that are transformed when people devote themselves to, To each other, when when they, they love one another and accept one another, when they apply God's word together, when they forgive one another, when they speak the truth in love to one another and honor one another above themselves, when they provoke each other towards godliness and good works, when they comfort each other in times of mourning, when they confess their faults to one another and encourage one another. And again and again and again and again they pray for one another, constantly lifting each other up and interceding. Our strategy to do this is through connection groups. Uh, We've been saying for a few years that we're a church of connection groups, not a church with connection groups, and that's been mostly true. We're going to drive really hard and try to create an environment where your name and your need can be known. That's what connection groups are for. We call them connection groups because we want you to find godly, lasting relationships. We actually believe that spiritual maturity doesn't come with more head knowledge. Head knowledge is good. It's important to keep learning. I'm a learner. I like to learn. I like to read. But spiritual maturity, we see it in the book of James. We see it over and over. Real wisdom is knowing how to navigate the messiness of relationships. How to be agents of grace. We believe that so much that it's so vital and it's good for you and it's godly that I'm willing, we're willing to say some crazy things this morning. Say things like, hey, if you are like, man, I, I think it sounds great, but I don't have time for that. It's hard enough for me to get here. We'll say, hey, if you have to choose between coming here on Sunday and going to your group, hey, this is super important, but if you have to choose, go to to your group. Listen to the message online, but we think it's so important for you to have godly, lasting relationships. We'd rather you go to your group and exercise those things out. We believe it so much, you're sitting here and going, well, I don't know, we gotta find a babysitter. Babysitters are expensive. I get it. They're expensive. But I'll tell you what, take it out of your tithe. We'd rather you go to groups. We believe it so much that even though we have a need for people to serve and volunteer, our volunteer leads and staff are willing to say, hey, if you have to choose between uh, being in, in fellowship and connecting and being in a group and or, or serving for, with us, be in the group. We believe it that much. You know, we need we need your help. We believe it so much that we will do those things over and over again, whatever the barrier is. um, We strategize our groups just to that aim. We've spent a lot of time, and we're gonna continue to tweak and spend time going, how can we make these groups better so that people have authentic, godly, lasting relationships? And I've been meeting with all the leaders, and there's some amazing stories of spiritual maturity, people coming to faith all the way up to where they're going, hey, this thing doesn't look right in your life, and the person's thankful for that. Like, thank you for telling me that. That's an awesome thing to see. Real needs being met, prayers being prayed, people visiting hospitals, people mourning with people, people doing life together. We believe it so much because we believe that's where discipleship can happen. We believe that's where marriages and families can be strengthened, where needs are being answered and prayers are being lifted up. So here's our crazy uh, God-sized goal that I'm gonna put in front of you. Um, and it, we've studied a lot of the numbers. Most churches don't have this, but we're gonna, we're gonna try to aim for 80% of our adults attending connection groups. That's our goal. Our goal is to get 80% of our adult attendance, not signed up for, but attending groups. And this isn't about hitting a number but it's about keeping score to focus how we play, what we do, so much that we're asking the question every staff meeting, how does that affect groups? Because we believe that this aspect of discipleship and growth is that significant and that important. So here's my challenges to you. The big idea is we live the gospel out together because the mission of God is to be done in fellowship people who have your back. The application is if you're not in fellowship, get in fellowship. If you're like, I don't even know how to do that, um, we have connection group sign up starting next week. And we've tried to think of everything. If you have a question, we'll be willing to answer it. We make connection groups start and stop because we think it takes time to get that type of deep relationship, and it takes trials. You might start in a group and go, oh, man, when does this group end? Because I don't really click with these people, and um, am I supposed to be here till Jesus comes back, or? <laughs> we get it. We're brothers and sisters, but we don't all fit together, right? And we believe there's a place for you. It might take a few tries, and that's okay. We'll even train our leaders to say, hey, four weeks. Try it out for four weeks. We won't harass you, it's okay. And some people are like, I just can't do that. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna feel bad telling them I'm not gonna be there anymore. So we created off-ramps. There's breaks, breaks for our leaders, but breaks also so you can try a different group and see if it fits. But our goal is connection and godly, lasting relationships. Our goal is for you to have disciples alongside of you, encouraging you. I'm gonna pray for us right now. God, I thank you so much for your grace, and I pray for those in the room right now that maybe they just came here for the first time And they're like that crowd that's hearing the gospel for the first time that Jesus actually came to forgive them. And that the promise of God and the hope that he restores is not just something for those people, but it is for for them right now. It is, if you're sitting in this room, it's for you and your children, for those who are far off, the irreligious, the ones who have wandered astray. That promise is for you. For, the, for those of us in here who are isolated and feeling far, I pray that you would give them the courage it takes to engage in the church, to be the church, to have communion and fellowship with others. To not only know other people's names and needs, but to be known and have their needs known. Give them the courage to move Intentionally towards relationships and fellowship. For those of us sitting in the room and we're just challenging our hearts, God, I want to look like that. I want to look like a people who just are so responsive to the work that you have done that I can't help but pour out onto other people and, and to, to live in such tight-knit, loving community. You are our hope. You are the God who saves. We give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.